Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Real quick before I start the show, the audio, the source audio that I got from Tesla is all over the place. Some of it's really quiet. Some of it's really loud. Uh, I did my best to kind of even it out, but even with my best efforts, I still couldn't get it uh, even close to perfect. So just so you're aware that the anything that comes from Tesla as far as the autonomy day or the Q1 earnings call is just going to be all over the place. It's kind of dependent on where people are in relation to the mic. So every clip is different. So I apologize about that, but it's 1020 at night and I've been working on this since 1030 in the morning and I was even working on prepping the show earlier than that. So I'm exhausted. Um, and this is just gonna, this is just how it is, I guess. So hope you guys enjoyed the show. I put a lot of work into it and, uh, yeah, let me know what you think. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie, and I am your host, and we have a really, really big show, even bigger than last week. First, we have news, and then we're going to talk about Tesla Autonomous Day, and we have clips from that. And then, after that's all done, we have Tesla's investor call, Q1 investor call. So it's a busy, busy, busy day. So let's begin with the things that I like. I like Chip. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but I'll explain why it should make sense and make everyone who listens to, to this show excited. Chip lives and works near the Kennedy Space Center. He went to the NASA diff shop and he sent me some things to give away on the show. Now, I have paid for none of this stuff. I will pay for shipping to you, but I have actually paid for none of these items. He was so generous. We have a 
really cool, like kind of a dark lilac-y purple color Kennedy Space Center mug. We have a large uh, Kennedy Space Center shirt or NASA shirt. Let me see here. And on the back, it says NASA Crawler Transport, AA, a.k.a. Missile Crawler Transporter. So it's a really cool shirt. It is a large. And then we have a keychain that says, which I think this is really cool, remove before flight. And then we have a, a bumper sticker that says, NASA, I need my space. Uh, all of these things are super cool. And he has given them to me so that I can give them to you. And uh, he bought all of this stuff with his own money. I offered to pay him, but he would not let me pay him. So I think that is really generous on on Chip's part, and I really thank him for that. So here's what I'm going to do. Uh, first, I will I will take pictures of, of all this stuff, and I will put it um, on the website, and I'll put a link, uh, probably not in this week's show notes, but maybe next week's show notes, just because i got a lot of stuff going on this week. But next week, I'm giving away that, tes- that Tesla hat, the black-on-black hat. That's going to be, I'm going to give that away next week. And then each week after that, I'm going to give away one of these items. And whoever wins that week's uh, contest, they'll get to choose out of the items that I have available. They get to choose which one they want. Um, let's see here. Yeah, until everything is gone. So if you're on that list currently, no worries. You'll stay on the list for all the all the NASA items. If you're not, email me, Bodie, B-O-D-I-D at 918digital, that's 918digital.com, and I will put you on the list. And I really want to thank Chip for giving away all this really cool, or donating all this really cool NASA swag. I'm super excited to give it away. Uh, This show, before we go too much further, I've been toying with chapters. So I don't know if any of you have noticed the last couple of shows. There's one in there that didn't have chapters. I just didn't have time to do it. The last couple of shows have actually had chapters and if your podcast player supports chapters you can go to different places during the show different segments or stories so for this show because we're going to talk about the news and then we're going to talk about autonomy day and then we're going to talk about the q1 earnings i'm going to put a chapter on each of those segments so that you can kind of skip around as you want and listen to the show the way you want to listen to the show uh, but before we get into the show, I want to thank all of the Patreon supporters who support the show. If you go to supportkilowatt.com or patreon.com forward slash kilowatt, you can uh, check out some posts that I made public up there on the uh, the old Patreon. And then also, if you feel inclined, you can support. We have a $1, a $3, and a $5 level. And uh, moving on to videos our first video is Car Gurus took a test drive of the Kia Nero, and they talk about that. Alex on Autos walks through a Tesla Model 3 standard. Both those are great videos. Highly suggest checking them out. And then there's a video of a Model S that caught fire in Shanghai. I'm sure many of you have seen this. I have some thoughts on this. The Model S that caught on fire in Shanghai, it was an older uh, Model S. It was either... 2012 to whenever they changed that body style where they erased the black kind of uh, grill up front and changed that to match the rest of the paint scheme. So 
I don't know how many times this char this car had been charged and discharged and recharged. I don't know how well the owner took care of the the battery pack itself, or if it had been damaged or they hit a rock coming in or whatever. So there's a lot of things that I don't know about this. But could it be possible for the 18650 battery cells, which is what the Model S uses, over time they degrade to such a point where they just catch on fire because uh, they're just not really designed to be in a car. Originally, that cell type, from what I understand from the reading I did, was those were mainly designed for laptops. And then Tesla and Panasonic converted that, made it into a circular cell like a battery, and then put those into a car. So I don't know, maybe that's that particular type of cell just doesn't do well in a an electric vehicle um, that's going to get charged and discharged, you know, 1500 times or whatever it's going to be for the life of that battery pack. I don't know. A, a newer Model X, there was another story where a new Model X was in, parked in the garage and it caught on fire. So it may not have anything to do with the age of the battery pack or the cells or how much use they've received. It's maybe, you know, just kind of one of those weird phenomenon. Um, I know that BMWs and other EVs have caught on fire. I was not able to find out if any of those companies use 18650 batteries. Um, I don't think those are exclusive to Tesla, but I couldn't find what type of batteries BMW and these other EV companies are using. And then that leads me to, has a Model 3 caught on fire? To the best of my knowledge, I couldn't find any articles where a Model, a story where a Model 3 is caught on fire. Now, they're still pretty new. And maybe we'll start seeing fires towards the end of their battery pack life cycle. I don't know, but it's it's worth it's worth investigating for sure. So that's my my theory. Okay, let's shotgun some news. Fred Lambert of Electric Panasonic is considering switching from the eighteen six fifty battery cell productions that we just talked about in Japan to twenty one seventies. This is uh kind of a glimpse into what's going uh, going to happen for the Model S and Model X I think. Panasonic manu- Panasonic, excuse me, manufactures the 18650 cells in Japan and ships them to Tesla in California. The Chinese Gigafactory needs cells. Now Elon has said that Tesla will source these 2170 cells from several vendors, but Japan's in the same general area as China, maybe Panasonic or will still be one of the vendors for the 2170 cells. Who knows? Um, inside EVs, Mark Kane. Tesla is still looking for a Gigafactory location in Europe. Sounds like they're considering Germany, and that would make a lot of sense because Germany has a lot of great automotive talent. So it makes total, complete and total sense. Phil Deziki from Electric has our next story. Sam Wang, the CEO of Lucid Motors, has retired. Now, it's important to note that he's not, he wasn't asked to leave as far as we know. He's not pursuing other things. He's retiring. He's going, he's going to spend more time with his money and his family. And that sounds great. Now, CTO Peter Rawlinson, who was the chief engineer on the Model S and the CTO of Lucid Motors, is now the CEO. And I think that's a a pretty good pick. He's usually the person when there's an interview, he's usually the person giving the interview. Uh, Peter Rawlinson. Next story comes from Green Car Reports, Eric C. Everts. Rivian is planning on manufacturing six new models by 2025. 
Uh, it looks like those six also include the R1T and the R1S. Those models, the other four models, will be some variant of a truck or SUV, according to RJ Skaraninj. Man, I mess up that guy's last name all the time. Rivian CEO. I'm hoping they build an, a, an affordable pickup truck for, you know, everybody else who can't afford an 80, 70 to five to $80,000 pickup truck. Fingers crossed. Clean Technica's Kyle Field. GM was considering investing in Rivian, but those talks have fell through. G- uh, Ford jumped in with a $500 million equity investment into Rivian. So we already know that Rivian has been using Ford F-150s to test its uh, electric vehicle technology, the skateboard technology. This seems like a logical partnership. And Ford could literally flip a switch and have an electric F-150 out by next year, 2020. Uh, I think this is great news. Here's where I'm a little hesitant. How how will this affect F one fifty is currently the best selling pickup truck in the United States. How is that going to affect Rivian's business, their truck business? Is that going to be a negative? Like, are they not going to be able to compete with an electric F one fifty that has their technology? And will that drive the price of Rivian down so much that Ford will be able to buy them at a rock bottom price? I'm curious about that. I hope that it's a positive partnership, but Rivian is a very small company and Ford is not. So, oh, I hope Rivian stays independent is really what I'm saying. Desha J. Ferris from Tesla Rati. The next-gen Roadster will use a fingerprint swipe instead of a door handle to open up the, well, the doors. So you swipe down and the door opens. This is very cool. Here's my concern. When this Roadster, and inevitably it's going to happen, somebody's going to get into this thing and wreck it, the first responders or the people on scene simply can't open that door. And if the person inside is uh, incapacitated in some way and they don't know how to open up the door, that's going to cause a lot of problems, especially if the car's on fire. So not to sound like an old man, but when it comes to things like opening a door in a hurry, it makes a lot more sense to have an actual door handle. Look at all the stories of the Model S and Model X where people crashed the car, you know, the drivers crashed the car, and then people on scene weren't able to get the doors open or didn't know how to open the doors because the handles didn't pop out like they're designed to do in an accident. So I'll put a link to the uh, show notes in the video, link to the video in the show notes. It looks really cool. I highly suggest uh, taking a peek. And the guy who... um, the guy who uh, posted it on Twitter. I'm not going to try his name because I'll butcher it. Uh, I've actually met him in real life. He's a really nice guy. He's from Scottsdale. And continuing with Deshaw's articles, folks in the UK will be able to order a right-hand drive Model 3, May 1st or May 2nd, according to Elon's Twitter. And I know this is welcome news to a lot of Kilowatt listeners. And I emailed uh, Mark this morning, and it sounds like he's very excited. And I'm sure others are excited as well. This is really good news. Jameson Dow of Electric. If you want to buy a Model 3 right now, you can go to Tesla.com and click on View Existing Inventory, and you'll see all of the cars that are in your area. There are 10 in my area, ranging from $39,000 to $57,000. 
Fortunately, and I said fortunately, none of them are white. Otherwise, my wife would have a really good reason to divorce me when she got home today because I would have a white Model 3 sitting in the garage. And our van would be gone because you know, I'd have to trade it in. Um, just kind of as a side note, I once bought a car and uh, my wife was not on the same page as me. She went to, she was going to school at the time. She went to school. I bought the car. She was not happy. She was not angry, but she was not happy. And it was all down to a miscommunication. And then after that, we came up with a $100 rule with, we purchase anything that's over a hundred dollars. You both kind of have to have the buy-in on it. Um, in my defense, I literally told her as I was walking out the door, I'm going to go buy a Volkswagen diesel. In her defense, she heard, I'm going to go look at a Volkswagen diesel. So, you know, marriage. Continuing on with Desha, Elon, we know, doesn't like LiDAR. And we're going to hear more about this in the section uh, upcoming on the autonomy day. Researchers and in the investors, uh, the Q1 investors call, researchers from Cornell think that Tesla may have uh, may have the right idea in terms to their approach with um, self-driving vehicles, according to the Cornell researchers' research. Boy, that was really confusing. I'll put a link to the show notes and the study in the show notes if you want to read further. Simon Alvarez. Yes, Tesla Gigafactory 3, is, the construction is flying by. It's cruising. It's going really fast. So hopefully they'll be up to 1,000 or 2,000 Model 3s by the end of the year out of that Gigafactory. Fred Lambert of Electric. Existing supercharging stations have, for lack of a better word, unleashed the power. Uh, these supercharger stations can output 120 kilowatts to 145 kilowatts and maybe as high as 150 kilowatts or maybe even higher than that, depending, according to Elon on Twitter. Okay. Daisha is really knocking it out of the park. She wrote a ton of articles this last week. So we're going to talk about two of them right now. We talked about the upcoming rumored upgrades to the Model S and Model X. So... Tesla's updated the Model S and Model X motors and the suspension. So the fully adaptive automatic suspension coupled with full self-driving and the neural net uh, allows the car to adjust automatically to road conditions, giving the occupant the best drive. So let's say you're driving down a bumpy road. Three people drive down this bumpy road. Tesla's like, oh, that's bumpy. Let's adjust that. Then it automatically adjusts it. You don't have to do anything. The neural net just says, let's make this ride better. Full self-driving car says, let's make the drive better. And the adjustive automatic suspension says the same thing. Let's make this ride better. And it just gets smoother. I wish this technology existed in a Model 3 or a Model Y. Let's just say I wish this technology existed in something I could afford. Now, the new drivetrain design increases the range and power of the Model S and X. So they are using the permanent magnet motor, which we talked about before. It's kind of like the Model 3 motor. It improved cooling. Uh, it's got all new bearings, new gear design, which makes it 93% efficiency with the same battery pack. So a long range Model S gets 370 miles and Model X gets 325 miles. And uh, yeah, so these new uh, Teslas, Model S and Model X that are out, that's a good thing. I have some thoughts because we talked about how Tesla's upgrading all this. Um, there's going to be a major upgrade coming. My thoughts are this is first Tesla puts in the technology as it's available. So I think that's great. 
But my thoughts are this is kind of a test for the new the new upgrade, the big upgrade that's going to come later in the fall or maybe sometime next year, depending on how this whole thing works out. Um, and when I saw the Roadster, there was lots of pictures of the Roadster this week. There's no, there's only the center console. There's nothing, as far as I can tell, on the, the there's no instrument cluster for the Roadster in the normal place an instrument cluster would be. So I'm suspicious. Is Tesla, well, not suspicious. I'm thinking Tesla's not, the new Model S and Model X are not going to have a, a the same instrument cluster, the same setup they have now. It's going to look more Spartan on the inside, more like a Model 3. And the reason why I say that is the Model 3, people said it was weird at first, but when they get in, you know, within minutes, it it's just completely natural. And the Model, the Roadster has one screen. So it kind of makes sense and it's cost effective for Tesla to remove that stuff and only put in one screen for the Model S and Model X. So um, it's kind of my thought is that the interior is going to go a little bit more Model 3-ish. It's going to be fancier than the Model 3, but I think it's going to be really similar to the Model 3's interior, which at first I did not think that, but the the more and more I see things, that's the way it's going to go, pretty sure. Okay, Simon Alvarez has our final story. Tesla filed a restraining order against Randeep Hothi. Hothi? I feel butchered names. He is required to stay 100 yards away from the Fremont factory and the Tesla employees named in the restraining order, 10 yards away from any Tesla vehicle within with Tesla manufacturer plates within five miles of the factory. And this is why. He is accused of stalking, harassing, and endangering three Tesla employees who were test driving Model 3s. Along with that, he's accused of attempting to cause an accident while the Model 3s were being tested. According to Tesla, he was driving recklessly and he actually triggered the Model 3's emergency avoidance maneuver system to come on. Tesla is also accusing him of injuring a Tesla security employee while he was trespassing on Tesla property. If this is true, this is completely and totally unacceptable. Like, this, it is never okay to put somebody else's life at risk because you have an axe to grind with the company. Now, Randeep Hathi, hope I'm saying that right, is a Tesla short seller and a famous one at that. And uh, he took to Twitter with some pictures and people were joking on Twitter to try and get the vehicles to crash. Um, all of this is is very uh, distasteful, if true, to be honest with you. Like if my family member died because somebody was being a jackass, sorry, my language, that would I, I would be furious. I'm not a violent person, but that would make that would that would bring me to violence if that was true. Um, it's totally not okay. Anyway, um, the order is in effect until May 7th. A GoFundMe page has been set up to help him with legal expenses. Uh, last time I checked, there was a little over $120,000 raised, which is a lot of money to help with, you know, lawyer fees and all the whole process he's going to, he's going to have to go through. I hope this isn't true, not because I have anything like I'm defending this guy. I hope it's not true because I like to think that people like that who are willing to put 
other people's lives in danger simply because they have an axe to grind with a company or a person or whatever. I like to think that those people are few and far between, and I know that they are, but it just like the whole thing just hurts my heart to be honest with you. It's it like just being terrible to people because you think you're justified is it boggles my mind why people do that. And then on the other side, it just makes me sad in general for, you know, some parts of our, our, our population world population, because it goes on everywhere, not just here in the United States. Anyway, the articles are in the show notes. Now I'm going to take a break. You won't notice, but I'm going to take a break and then we'll come back and we're going to talk about Tesla autonomy day. Before I begin the Tesla autonomy part of the show, Tesla and the SEC, has, they have come to an agreement. This is breaking news. It's so rare that anything breaks while I'm recording this show, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, we don't have too many details. It sounds like there are no fines, and Elon will have kind of more tighter def uh, defined limitations on his Twitter use. But yeah, and we have exclusive audio from when inside the office when they actually made the, like they came to terms. And I want you to listen to it. It'll take about 30 seconds. Wow, so much love in that room. So much love. Sounds a lot like meatloaf. You know what's really weird? I was actually listening to that song, You Took the Words Out of My Mouth, by Meatloaf, when I read this news, and I was like, it goes together really well. How coincidental is that? What a coincidence, coincidental. Anyway, let's get on with the actual show. So our first clip, Pete is going to give us an, kind of a timeline Pete is the lead uh, engineer or the person in charge of making the full self-driving ch chip. He's going to give us kind of a timeline as to uh, from beginning to end how the chip came about and just kind of not so much the development process, but the kind of the steps they went through. Um, I was hired in February of 2016. I asked Elon if he was willing to spend all the money it takes to do full custom system design. And he said, well, uh, are we going to win? And I said, well, yeah, of course. So he said, I'm in. And uh, so that got us started. We hired a bunch of people and, and started thinking about what a, full, uh, what a custom design chip for full autonomy would look like. We spent 18 months uh, doing the design. And in August of 2017, we released the design for manufacturing. We got it back in December. It powered up, and it actually worked very, very well on the first try. We made a few changes and released a B0 rev in April of 2018. In July of uh, 2018, uh, the chip was qualified, and we started uh, full production of uh, production quality parts. In December of 2018, we had the autonomous driving stack running on the new hardware, and we were able to start uh, retrofitting employee cars and testing the hardware and software out in the real world. Uh, just last March, we started shipping uh, the new computer in the Model S and X, and just earlier in April, we started production in Model 3. So this whole program, from the hiring of the first few employees to having it in full production in all three of our cars, is just a little over three years, and is probably the fastest uh, system development program I've ever been associated with. And it really speaks a lot 
to the advantages of having a tremendous amount of vertical integration um, to allow you to do concurrent engineering and speed up deployment. So that's, that's actually uh, pretty fast for a company's first chip, I think. Uh, very impressive. Now, um, he said that this wouldn't have been possible without the teams already in place. And I'm just going to only put this in here so that each team can be recognized because I know that it's a lot of hard work putting this stuff together. And uh, I feel like the teams themselves, the people behind uh, Elon gets all the credit and all the, the grief, but the people behind Elon, I think, deserve a little credit. So I'm going to play that clip real quick. Um, another thing that was a little unexpected when I first arrived was our ability to leverage existing teams at Tesla. Tesla had wonderful power supply design teams, signal integrity analysis, package design, system software, firmware, board designs, and a really good system validation program that we were able to take advantage of to accelerate this program. I think that's a nice little shout out and uh, well deserved by the team behind the team that's behind the chip. In our next uh, clip, we're going to hear him talk about him being Pete, talk about the uh, just kind of the re how the chip is designed and the redundancy behind that. And then at the end of the clip, we'll hear a little bit uh, from Elon. So in terms of driving the car, the basic sequence is collect lots of information from the, the world around you. Not only do we have cameras, we also have radar, GPS, maps, the IMUs, ultrasonic sensors around the car. We have wheel ticks, steering angle. We know what the acceleration and deceleration of the car is supposed to be. All of that gets integrated together to form a plan. Once we have a plan, the two machines exchange their independent uh, version of the plan to make sure it's the same. And assuming that we agree, we then act and drive the car. Now, once you've driven the car with some new control, you of course want to validate it. So we validate that what we transmitted was what we intend to transmit to the other actuators in the car. And then you can use the sensor suite to make sure that it happens. So if you ask the car to accelerate or brake or steer right or left, you can look at the accelerometers and make sure that you are, in fact, doing that. So there's a tremendous amount of redundancy and overlap in both our data acquisition and our data monitoring capabilities here. Yeah, if I can add something, I mean, the general principle here is that it, any part of this could fail and the car will keep driving. So you could have cameras fail, you could have uh, power circuits fail, you could have one of the Tesla full-self-driving full computer chips fail, car keeps driving. Uh, the probability of, the, of this computer failing is substantially lower than somebody losing consciousness. That's, that's the key metric, at least in order of magnitude. Okay. So what I should have said is basically on the, the hardware three device, like the, the whole board, there are two chips. Every, there's two of everything, basically. So if one thing fails, the other uh, chip or computer will keep going and keep driving the car. So you're not out of luck. If the computer dies, you, the car just stops. That does, that's not what happens here. Um, and then at the same time, any sort of movement or, or any sort of action that the car wants to do, it goes through this whole process and one chip checks with the other chip to make sure everything's cool. And then it, it's like, okay, well we can do this action. And then it checks back in and it says, was this action done? And was it done correctly? And if it was, then it just kind of moves on. And there's just the redundancy there is for, uh, the safety of the the passengers inside the vehicle, but it's also there to ensure that uh, that you know Tesla's not going to get sued for autopilot 
or uh, full self-driving going awry and killing a bunch of people. In the next clip, he's going to talk about security in terms of software. So we'll listen to that real quick, and then we'll jump in with uh, with some comments after that. And lastly, there's a safety system, and then basically the job of the safety system is to ensure that this chip only runs software that's been cryptographically signed by Tesla. If it's not been signed by Tesla, then the, the chip does not operate. Yeah, that, this isn't unlike how Apple does its signing with registered developers for the Mac App Store or the iPhone Store, uh, iPhone App Store. So it, it's pretty similar, but effectively... You know, you can't install anything on here unless Tesla says it's okay, which is good because, you know, that helps keep out malware or uh, people trying to hack the the Tesla network, that kind of thing. Um, of course, nothing is, you know, foolproof and people are going to hack. It's just kind of the way that it is. All right. Let's listen to the next clip. It, 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 at first, it seems improbable. How could it be that Tesla who has never designed a chip before, would design the best chip in the world. But that is objectively what has occurred. Not, not best by a small margin, best by a huge margin. It's in the cars right now. All Teslas being produced right now have this computer. We switched over from the NVIDIA solution for SNX about a month ago, and we switched, switched over uh, Model 3 about 10 days ago. All cars being produced have the have all the hardware necessary, compute and otherwise, for full self-driving. I'll say that again. All Tesla cars being produced right now have everything necessary for full self-driving. All you need to do is improve the software. Okay. First, I'd like to address like the best chip ever manufactured as compared to what? It can't be as compared to every other chip out there. That doesn't make any sense. So it's got to be compared to, you know, self-driving vehicles or self-driving hardware. You know, it doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. On the other side, uh, Tesla and Elon are very, they're very optimistic based on what they see with this new hardware that it's going to be great. They just need to bring the software up to the level where the hardware is at. And it sounds like they're going to be able to do that by the fall sometime. Elon even said during the event that they're currently working on the next generation of uh, full self-driving, and they're about two years into that. So in another two years or so, we'll get another version of that. Now, somebody in the Q&A session asked, you know, what are you focusing on? And Elon said, well, you know, all the normal things that you would focus on. Uh, we're not ready to talk about it, but, you know, if you use your imagination effectively, I'm paraphrasing. And then somebody in the background at some point who was mic'd up said safety. So obviously, you know, safety is at, at the forefront and should be. Um, yeah. So if, if right now, if it's twice as if full self-driving at, at its current state is twice as good as uh, a regular person driver, according to Tesla, in two years, is that 10 times as good, 20 times as good? Where is that going to to be, I hope so. I mean, um, I'm. I really want full self driving to be an a, a real thing, and I don't want it to be some, you know, promise that never comes. However, I got really excited when Hardware Two came out, and I was like, "Oh, it's here!" Because Elon said it's here. And then, you know, like a lot of other people, 
we were like, oh yeah, it's not here yet. And full self-driving three here, or hardware three is here, full self-driving chip. Oh, it's here, it's here. Are we going to have that moment where we're like, oh, it's not quite here yet. I hope not. In the next clip, you're going to hear Elon talk about NVIDIA and kind of why they moved away from NVIDIA. He has nothing but good things to say about the company. However, um, well, I'll just let him explain it. NVIDIA is a great company, but they have many customers. And so when, as, as, they, as they apply their resources, they need to uh, do a generalized solution. Um, I, we care about one thing, self-driving. Um, so that it was designed to do that incredibly well. The software is also designed to run on that hardware incredibly well. Uh, and the combination of the software and the hardware, I think, is unbeatable. I mean, that, that makes sense. And I think NVIDIA has actually come out and said, I'm pretty sure I read this, that Tesla did a you know bang up job building that chip, and they, they, it's the real deal. Uh, the next question uh, that somebody brought up was about lidar and whether or not the new self full self driving chip would uh, be able to accept a lidar system, and uh, it feels like this guy doesn't know Tesla and doesn't know Elon. But you can, you know, we'll listen to what Elon has to say about that. Hi, uh, the chip is designed to process video input. Uh, in case you use, let's say, LiDAR, would it be able to process that as well, or, or is, that, is, that, is it primarily for, for video uh, What we're going to explain to you today is that LiDAR is, is a fool's errand, and, any, and anyone relying on LiDAR is doomed. <laughs> doomed. Expensive, expensive sensors that are unnecessary. It's like having a whole bunch of expensive appendices. One appendix is bad. Well, now they want to put a whole bunch of them. That's ridiculous. You'll see. Okay, like I said, this was probably not the best question to ask at this autonomy event. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense because Elon has been saying this over and over and over again, that LiDAR is not the way to go. Whether that's true or not, that's, that can be argued. However. Um, come on, man, you should know that if you're at this event, you should know on the other side, you know, Elon, it wasn't like he was rude to this guy because he wasn't, but maybe a little more understanding. I don't know. He was, he was, he came off very, uh, a little arrogant there and maybe he, maybe he's going to be right. Maybe he's going to be wrong. Who knows? I know we have quite a few. Tesla investors, people who hold stock that listen to the show. So I put this clip in there for for you folks so that, you know, uh, you get some good Tesla news because after all these events and stuff, the, the stock's been kind of falling. So let's listen to some, I guess, good Tesla news. It's a good question. Hi, I'm Graham Tanaka, Tanaka Apple. I'm just curious um, how defensible your chip technologies and design is from a from a uh, IP point of view and um, hoping that you won't won't be offering a lot of the IP to the outside for free thanks <laughs> uh, we have filed on the order of a dozen patents on this technology um, fundamentally it's linear algebra which I don't think you can patent so <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> but <laughs> we'll I, I, I think if, if somebody started today and they were really good they might have something like what we have right now in three years. 
Um, but in two years, we'll have something, something three times better. No, I think it's great. Tesla, it, by far, um, is, is ahead of a lot of companies by far. Probably they might be in the lead in terms of uh, full self-driving. However, to say that if somebody came up with something now, they would be where Tesla is in three years. Well, the way tech, that's not the way technology works. Three years ago when Tesla started this whole project, technology was a world away from where it is today. And so if somebody started today, maybe they might be where Tesla is in a year, maybe a year and a half or two. Now, again, Tesla has the ability to continue to uh, ramp up and get better. But so do those other companies. You know, Tesla has its neural net and all the information that's coming in and all that good stuff. And that is very valuable. I'm just saying uh, it's not a, it took Tesla three years to develop this program. So it's going to take somebody else three years to develop this program. It's not really how that works. Uh, but I do believe that they hold a very strong position in the full self-driving market. And f- by far, you know, to the best of my knowledge, I just took a Waymo van ride not too long ago and, you know, it was okay. It was better than it, than it had been in the past. However, we were, we were going through an intersection. There's nobody in the intersection. We have the green light and the car just slams on the brakes for no reason at all. Slams on the brakes. And I was like, I mean, I'm in the back seat. I kind of get my, I lose my phone. You know, my, my whole body goes forward. I was like, ah, that, that was uncomfortable. And there was nobody around. There was no reason that I could tell that it should have slammed on the brakes. So, you know, Tesla's doing good. You know, they're, they're leaders. However, to say that you can't be caught or it'd be very difficult for somebody to catch you or, you know, however Elon's putting that, it, I think those are, you know, famous last words. Or it could be, because if I use a definitive statement like those are famous last words, those could be my famous last words. Let's listen to the next clip. Uh, may I just uh, press, press you on that and please reframe the question because I'm a tech layman if it's appropriate. But, you know, when we talk to Waymo or NVIDIA, they do speak with equivalent conviction about their leadership because of their competence in simulating uh, miles driven. Can you talk about the advantage of having real world miles versus simulated miles? Because I think they express that, you know, by the time you get a million miles, they can simulate a billion and no Formula One race car driver, for example, could ever successfully complete a real world track without driving in a simulator. Can you talk about the advantages? Um, it sounds like that, that you perceive to have associated with having data ingestion coming from real world miles versus simulated miles. Um, absolutely. The, the, the simulator, we have a, a quite a good simulation, too, um, but it, it's just, it just uh, does not capture the long tail of weird things that happen in the real world. If the simulation fully captured the real world, well, I mean, that would be proof that we're living in a simulation, I think. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't. I wish. <laughs> but it, it, simulations do not capture the real world. Uh, they don't, the real world is really weird and messy. Um, you need the you need the drive, cars on the road. Um, we're actually going to get into that in Andre and Stuart's presentation. I feel pretty sure we're not living in a simulation, but you know, ninety percent sure we're not living in a simulation. I feel like if I was living in a simulation, my life would be a lot easier. My kids would listen. Anyway, uh, that would be my simulation: just having children listen. The, uh, 
Andre Karpathy. He's going to talk about the neural net and what we should probably start with on the neural net is a neural net knows nothing until you tell it what it's going to learn. So at the beginning, when you're born, you know, okay, it's bright outside. Uh, you, you know, as you kind of develop and, and grow over the first couple of days, you realize that there are, you know, there are people, whether you know them or by look or by smell or whatever, there's these, you know, two people who are caring for you and making sure that you have food and shelter and diaper changes and all that stuff. And all that kind of goes on in the background and you're just kind of, you're learning, maybe you're learning a task like grabbing something, but you're also learning other things like spatial awareness, like how far away something is versus, you know, not just, you know, it's not just grabbing the object. It's how far away from you, how far do you have to extend your arm out? Well, the neural net has to be taught all of that stuff individually. Now I'm sure I'm oversimplifying this, but effectively that is the, like that's, that's the very simplistic overview. So uh, he's going to talk about now he's going to talk about the neural net and here's the clip. Now there's something very unintuitive about the way neural networks work that I have to really get into. And that is um, that they really do require a lot of these examples and they really do start from scratch. They know nothing. And it's really hard to wrap your head around, with, around this. So as an example, here's a cute dog. And you probably may not know the breed of this dog, but uh, the correct answer is that this is a Japanese Spaniel. Now all of us are looking at this and we're seeing Japanese Spaniel and we're like, okay, I got it. I understand kind of what this Japanese Spaniel looks like. And if I show you a few more images, of other dogs, you can probably pick out other Japanese Spaniels here. So in particular, those three look like a Japanese Spaniel and the other ones do not. So you can do this very quickly and you need one example, but computers do not work like this. They actually need a ton of data of Japanese Spaniels. So this is a grid of Japanese Spaniels showing them, you need thousands of examples, showing them in different poses, different brightness conditions, different backgrounds, different crops. You really need to teach the computer from all the different angles what this Japanese Spaniel looks like, and it really requires all that data to get that to work. Otherwise, the computer can't pick up on that pattern automatically. To get neural networks to work well, you require these three essentials. You require a large data set, a varied data set, and a real data set. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you have those capabilities, you can actually train neural networks and make them work very well. So yeah, I told you it was going to get nerdy. Now, I left all this nerdy stuff in here for a good reason, or I think it's a good reason is as I grow as a host and we grow as a community in terms of our knowledge, when we talk about not only Tesla stories, but all these other companies that are in, involved in full self-driving and electric vehicles, I think this gives us a good uh, foundation so that when we're talking about this stuff, we kind of know how it works. Just on a very simplistic level, we kind of know how it works. And I want to do the same thing with battery technology and all that other stuff, but we're not going to get into that today. But that's, that's, you know, that's, that's the reason why I left it in there. And hopefully it's helpful to everybody. Cause like I said, I know it's really nerdy, but we're kind of getting out of the nerdy parts. The next clip, uh, someone from loop ventures, they're going to ask about how full self-driving works in snow. Hi, Elon, Matt Joyce, loop ventures. Uh, I own a model three in Minnesota where it snows a lot. Since camera and radar cannot see road markings through snow, what is your technical strategy to solve this challenge? Does it involve high-precision GPS at all? Yeah, uh, so actually like today, actually Autopilot will do a decent, decent job at, in snow, uh, even when lane markings are covered. Even when lane markings are faded, covered, 
or when there's lots of rain on them, we still seem to drive relatively well. We didn't specifically go after snow yet with our data engine, but uh, I actually think this is, this is completely tractable because in a lot of those images, uh, even when things are snowy, when you ask a human annotator where are the lane lines, they actually could tell you. They actually are, are likely. relatively consistent in yeah. creating those lane lines. As long as the annotators are consistent on your data, then I have, uh, there's, uh, the neural network will pick up on those patterns and will do just fine. So it's really just about, is the signal there, even for the human annotator? If, that is, if the answer to that is yes, then the neural network can do it just fine. Yeah, there's, there's actually, um, there, there are a number of important signals, as Andrew was saying. So um, lane lines are one of those things, but uh, one of the, mo the most important signals is drive space. So what, what, what is drivable space and what is not drivable space? Um, and uh, what, what actually really matters the most is, is drivable space more than lane lines. Uh, and, the, and the prediction of drivable space is extremely good. Um, and I think especially after this upcoming winter will be incredible. It'll, it'll, it's, it's, it's like it will be like, how could it possibly be that good? That's crazy. Yeah. And yeah. And the other thing to point out is maybe it's not even only about human annotators. As long as you as a human can drive through that environment, yeah, exactly. then through fleet learning, we actually know the path you took. Mm -hmm. And you obviously used vision to guide you through that path. You did not just use the lane line markings. You used the entire geometry of that entire scene. So you see, like, you know, you see how the world is roughly curling. You see how the cars are positioned around you. Neural network will pick up on all of those patterns automatically inside it if you just have enough of the data people traversing those environments. Yeah, it's, it's actually extremely important that... Um, things not be rigidly tied to GPS, because GPS error can vary quite a bit. Um, and the, it, the, 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 the actual situation for a road can vary quite a bit. So the, the, there could be construction, there could be a detour. Um, and if the car is, is using GPS as primary, this is a real bad situation. It's asking for trouble. Um, it's, it's fine to use GPS for like tips and tricks. So it's like, um, like you, you can drive your, your home neighborhood better than a neighborhood in, a, in like some other country uh, or, or some other part of the country. Um, so you know your own neighborhood well and you, you use kind of like the knowledge of your neighborhood to drive with more confidence, uh, to maybe have uh, counterintuitive shortcuts and that kind of thing. Um, but you, you, the, it, it, the GPS overlay data should only be um, helpful but never primary. If, if it's ever primary, it's a problem. If you've ever lived someplace where it snows a lot, whether it snows all at one time or if it's falling over a longer period of time, eventually those lines get you covered up, even for the humans driving. So what they do is they make their own tracks, and then the person that comes behind them is like, "Hey, this looks good. Let's, you know, we'll make our own tracks too." Um, I have a feeling that autopilot would not do great in that situation because it's not in a line. You know, it's not staying between two lines. It's kind of they're making their own tracks. So, you know, that's one thing to think about. And they haven't tested it in snow, really, as far as uh, from what they said. And then the other thing is, and I, did, I forgot to mention this, that in addition to the artificial intelligence and machine learning that they're using to for full self-driving, the whole neural net and everything, they're also using humans to help make the system better. Next up, Elon's going to talk about kind of what needs to be in place for full self-driving to work, and then you can know, kind of a timeline as to when we'll be, you know, chilling in the driver's seat, not having to worry about anything, just staring out the window, looking at the beautiful, beautiful scenery. Yeah, there's, there's, there's three steps to self-driving. You know, there's being feature complete, then there's being feature complete to the degree that where where we think that 
the, the person in the car does not need to pay attention. And then there's uh, uh, being at a reliability level where we've also convinced regulators that that is true. So it's kind of like, there's kind of like three levels. We expect to be feature complete in self-driving this year, um, and we expect uh, to be confident enough from our standpoint to say that w we think people do not need to touch the wheel, look out of the window, sometime probably around, I don't know, second quarter of next year. Um, and then we start to expect to get regulatory approval, at least in some jurisdictions, for that towards the end of next year. That's a really aggressive timeline. I mean, it would be foolish to say that it's impossible and Tesla will never you know, get it done in time because maybe they would. I don't know. I'm not privileged to the technology that they have. But with hardware, too, I was fooled. And now I'm just kind of a little bit more cautious as it goes. Now, our next clip, we have uh, the gentleman in charge of software. And I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He's going to tell us why it's why they don't need LiDAR in their, their cars for full self-driving. When I do hear about sensors like LiDAR, a common question is around just having extra sensor modalities. Like, why not have some redundancy on the vehicle? And I want to dig in on one thing that's not, it's not always obvious with neural networks themselves. So we have a neural network running on our, say, wide fisheye camera. That neural network is not making one prediction about the world. It's making many separate predictions, some of which actually audit each other. So as a real example, we have the ability to detect a pedestrian. That's something we train very, very carefully on and put a lot of work into. We also have the ability to detect obstacles in the roadway, and a pedestrian is an obstacle, and it's shown differently to the neural network. It says, oh, there's a thing I can't drive through. And these together combine to give us an increased sense of what we can and can't do in front of the vehicle and how to plan for that. We then do this across multiple cameras because we have overlapping fields of view in many places around the vehicle. In front, we have a particularly large number of overlapping fields of view. Lastly, we can combine that with things like the radar and the ultrasonics to build these extremely precise understandings of what's happening in front of the car. We can use that both to learn future behaviors that are very accurate, but we can also build very accurate predictions of how things will continue to happen in front of us. So one example I think is really exciting is we can actually look at bicyclists and people and not just ask, where are you now, but where are you going? And this is actually the heart of what we're doing for our next generation automatic emergency braking system, which will not just stop for people in your path, but will stop for people who are going to be in your path. And that's running in shadow mode right now. We'll go out to the fleet this quarter, and I'll talk about shadow mode in a second. This isn't the best clip for audio, to be honest with you. But basically, what it showed on the screen was there was a, a car, and then they were, they were kind of showing um, as a you know cartoon or whatever. It shows a Tesla, and then it shows all of the things in the intersection that the Tesla needs to identify. It's a somebody biking uh, i think there was a person walking and then there was like other cars going through the intersection what i think is neat about this is the the automatic braking system that they were talking about like if they know if you're somebody's on a bike and they're going to uh, roll in front of you the car automatically stopping now let's pretend if you're in the united states and you're in the uh, you're cruising down the road you're in the outside lane you're coming up to an intersection, a bike is coming up to the intersection, but they're going to stop. Does the car see the bike, which it, I'm sure it will, but does the car freak out and stop before the, the or start slowing down before the bike gets to the intersection? Because there are ways that we as drivers communicate just by glances to make sure that we see each other. We know that the other person's there. Um, is the car going to, you know, falsely 
think that the bike's going to cross through the intersection, even though the driver and the bicyclist, they have decided, they they kind of made that visual nonverbal agreement that the bicycle isn't going to go through the intersection like I see you kind of thing. Um, I, I'm sure that's a very difficult problem to solve. Elon's going to give us in this next clip a few other things that are maybe worth mentioning. So let's see. Um, you know, a few other things that are maybe worth mentioning. The, if you, if to, in order to have a self-driving car or robo-taxi, you really need redundancy throughout the vehicle at the hardware level. Um, so starting in, I believe it was October 2016, uh, all cars made by Tesla have redundant uh, power steering. So we have redundant motors on the power steering. So any one failure of the if, if, a, if the motor fails, the car can still steer. Um, all of the power and data lines have redundancy. So you can sever any given power line or any data line, and the car will keep driving. The uh, auxiliary power system, uh, even if the main pack, you lose complete power in the main pack, the car is capable of steering and braking uh, using the auxiliary power system. So you can completely lose the main pack, and the, the, the car is safe. Um, the, the whole system... It, from a hardware standpoint, has been designed to, for, uh, to be a robo-taxi since basically October 2016. It's pretty amazing when you think about the level of, you know, thought that is put into these vehicles. Just not only in terms of, hey, this is what we're going to do in the future, but, hey, if something goes wrong in the short term, how are we going to get somebody to a safe place so that they can stop? And the answer is redundancy. That's it's pretty great. Uh, I my hats off to them if I wore a hat. The next clip, Elon's going to talk about the master plan, and I I don't know. There's he's kind of taking a victory lap, but I feel like maybe he deserves a victory lap on this. So um, let's let him have his victory lap. So going after going over just like Tesla, Tesla master plan. Obviously, we've made a bunch of forward-looking statements, as they call it. Um, <laughs> um, and um, but let's go through some of our other forward-looking statements that we've made. You know, way back when we created the company, we said we'd build the Tesla Roadster. They said it was impossible, and that, and that even if we did build it, nobody would buy it. Um, this was like universal opinion: was that building an electric car was extremely dumb and would fail. Um, I agree with them that the probability of failure was high, but, but that this was important. So we built the Tesla Roadster, um, going to production in 2008, um, and shipping that car. It's now a collector's item. Then, then so we built a more affordable car with the, the Model S. We did that. Um, again, we were told that's impossible. Um, I was called a fraud and a liar. And it was not going to happen. This is all untrue. Okay, famous last words. Now, is we, we, we went into production with the Model S in 2012. Uh, it exceeded all expectations. There is still, in 2019, no car that can compete with the Model S of 2012. It's seven years later. Still waiting. <laughs> uh, so we'd build a, 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 um, a, an affordable car. Maybe highly affordable. It's affordable, more affordable. Uh, with, with the Model 3. We built the Model 3. We're in production. Um, I said we'd get over 5,000 cars a week for Model 3. Uh, at this point, 5,000 cars a week is, is a walk in the park for us. It's not even hard. Um, 
So we do large-scale solar, which we did through the Solar City acquisition, um, and that we develop and deploy the solar roof, um, which is going really well. We're now on version three of the solar tile roof, uh, and we expect to spill our production of the solar tile roof significantly later this year. Um, I, I have it on, um, my, on my house, and it's great. Um, and I, I said we'd make the uh, power wall and the power pack, and we made the power wall and power pack. In fact, the, the power pack is um, now deployed in massive grid-scale utility systems around the world, um, in, including the, the, the largest operating battery projects in the world that at uh, above 100 megawatts. Um, and in the next, or probably by next, in the next year, two years at the most, we expect to have a gigawatt-scale battery project uh, completed. So all these things, I said we'd do them. We did it. So we'd do it. We did it. We're going to do the robo-taxi thing, too. Only criticism, and it's a fair one, and sometimes I'm not on time. <laughs> but I get it done, and the Tesla team gets it done. I don't know really what he's comparing the 2012 model S to saying that, you know, no one's even come close. Is that electric vehicles? Are we talking ice and electric vehicles, hybrid vehicles? Because there's a lot of really nice cars out there that are in that price point. However, you know, really had a hard time racking my brain trying to find one uh, that sold at any sort of scale. You know, if you know of one, email me, Bodie at 918digital.com. I would love to discuss that. I would argue the Model 3 is probably better than the 2012 Model S. Anyway, uh, now Elon's going to talk a little bit about what Tesla's up to kind of going forward, their short-term goals and plans. What we're going to do this year uh, is we're going to reach uh, combined production of 10,000 a week between SX and 3. feel very confident about that. Uh, and we feel very confident about being feature complete with self-driving. Um, next year, we'll expand the product line with Model Y and Semi, uh, and we expect to have the first operating robo-taxis next year with no one in them next year. Um, so any customer will be able to add or remove their car to the Tesla network. So we expect this to operate um, it's similar, it's sort of like a combination of maybe the Uber and Airbnb model. So if you own the car, you can add or subtract it to the Tesla network, and Tesla would uh, take uh, 25 or 30% of the revenue. Um, and, uh, and then in places where there aren't enough people sharing their cars, we would just have dedicated uh, Tesla vehicles. Um, so we'll sh we'll sh when you use the car, we'll show you our ride-sharing app. So you'll be able to, be able to summon the car from the parking lot, get in, and go for a drive. It's really simple. So you just take the same Tesla app that you currently have. We'll just do. We'll just update the app and add a summon summon Tesla, or or commit your car to the fleet. So it's either summon summon your car or add summon a Tesla or add your add or subtract your car to the fleet. You'll be able to do that from your phone. Again, that's very aggressive goal setting by Elon and Tesla. If they could get that done, if they if they would be able to get the full self-driving robo-taxi system up and running, I could technically, I could afford to buy 
a $60,000 car, put it in my driveway and just let it go nuts when I'm not using it and say, okay, well, that car that I'm, you know, that I just bought for $60,000, I'm not going to have any emotional attachment to that because I'm going to have to, you know, that's, that's kind of a business investment. So I let that car go and drive and drive and drive when I'm at work, it's driving. My wife's at work, it's driving. And then, you know, it's making some money. Maybe I'm paying a two, $300 a month payment. Maybe I'm not paying anything because it's generating enough uh, revenue that is paying for itself. When that's all said and done, um, and, and the car's paid off, I'm going to keep that car in rotation, keep going, and it's going to pay for my next car. And then that car's mine. That's, that's the one I get to drive. Nobody else gets to drive that car. That car is mine. That's a very appealing thing to me. And I'm sure it's appealing to a lot of people out there, especially if, you know, once the car's paid off, it's still generating money. That's, that's amazing. That's awesome. Next, Elon's going to talk about why Tesla's position to get all this stuff done. Like what, what makes them different? And there's just really no, no company that has the full stack integration. We've got the, the vehicle design and manufacturing. We've got the computer hardware in-house. We've got the in-house software development um, the, and, and AI. And we've got by far the biggest fleet. It's extremely difficult, not impossible perhaps, but extremely difficult to catch up when Tesla has 100 times more um, miles per day than everyone else combined. You say, what would be the probable gross profit from a single robo-taxi? Um, we think probably something on the order of $30,000 per year. Elon came back out and said, you know, he kind of revised that a little bit. He said ten dollars to $30,000 a year, but that's still pretty good. If you're paying a $500 a month payment, you know, that's $6,000 a year for a payment. And... You know, if you're making $10,000 on the car, you're pocketing $4,000 a year just to let your car go out and drive around. It's pretty, pretty great. Elon went into the cost of owning uh, an ICE vehicle versus the cost of owning a Tesla and uh, why they can beat Uber in the ride, you know, Uber or Lyft or whoever in the ride sharing. But I ultimately I ended up taking that out because it's very visual based. You know, you really needed to see it. For it to make sense because there's a lot of numbers up there but ultimately it's it was something like uh it's 69 cents on average on mile to operate a ice vehicle and then it's like 18 cents to operate an electric vehicle like a tesla pretty sure those numbers are accurate i don't know uh watch the video and and double check my work elon's gonna talk about where full self-driving will be by the middle of next year where he thinks it'll be. By the middle of next year, uh, we'll have over a million Tesla cars on the road with full self-driving hardware, feature complete, uh, at a reliability level that we would consider uh, that no one needs to pay attention. Meaning you could go to sleep in your, from our standpoint, if you fast forward a year, a little, maybe a year, maybe a year and three months, uh, at, but next year for sure, we will have over a million robo-taxis on the road. The fleet wakes up with an over-the-air update. That's all it takes. I don't quite know about going to sleep. I don't think I would feel comfortable going to sleep. 
but I might feel comfortable relaxing a little bit. But I don't know if I want to fall asleep because I could wake up dead. Okay, now Elon's going to talk about kind of the the value of owning the car over its life. Like, you know, how much money can this car earn you? You say, what what is the net present value of a Rover taxi? Probably on the order of a couple hundred thousand dollars. So buying a Model 3 is a good deal. Yeah, that's pretty good if it is that much money. Like, I don't think anybody's going to be able to necessarily quit their job. Maybe if you're retired, that'd be a nice little income. Um, and maybe these numbers are inflated. Maybe these numbers are optimistic. I don't know. We'll kind of have to see as as time goes on. The next clip is a question, and I'm just going to let uh, this person, I think it's Galileo Russell or something like that, I'm just going to let him ask his own question. So um, in terms of the one thing is the snake charger. I'm curious about that. And also, <laughs> um, how did you determine the pricing? It looks like you're undercutting the average Lyft or Uber ride by about 50%. So I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about the, the pricing strategy. Uh, sure. Uh, we expect the, the, the to, to uh, um, obviously solving, solving for the snake charger is, is, is pretty straightforward it's, from a vision standpoint. It's a, like a known situation. Any kind of known situation with, with vision is like, like a charge port. It's trivial. Um, so, um, so yeah, the cars would just automatically park the, and automatically uh, plug in. Um, there would be no, no human supervision required. Um, yeah. So, sorry, the other part was a oh, pricing. Uh, that we just threw some numbers on there. I mean, I think like definitely plug in whatever pricing you think makes sense. Uh, we just kind of randomly said, okay, maybe a dollar. Um, and the thing is, like, it's, it's, there's like on the order of two billion cars and trucks in the world. So robo taxis will be in extremely high demand for a very long time. And from my observation thus far is that the, the auto industry is very slow to adapt. I mean, like I said, there's still not a car on the road that you can buy today that is as good as the Model S was in 2012. Um, so that suggests um, a pretty slow rate of adaptation for the car industry. Um, and so probably a dollar is conservative for the next 10 years. What I believe Elon's talking about here is charging a dollar a mile. Now, Tesla believes that for the next 10 years that everybody's going to be able to make money by charging that little. And that's that's pretty amazing because if the cars you know, run at 18 cents a mile, charge a dollar a mile, there's plenty of room for profit for Tesla who takes 20 or 30% and yourself. And you don't have to be in the car to drive it around. I'm I'm really looking forward to this, if you can't tell my excitement. Now, part of the same answer, I just kind of cut it right here. Part of the same answer, Elon starts talking about the difficulty in manufacturing. So let's listen to that. Because like, people sort of think, like, there's like actually not enough appreciation for the difficulty of manufacturing. Manufacturing is insanely difficult. Um, but a lot of people I talk to think, like, if you just have the right design, you can like, instantly make as much of that thing as the world wants. This is not true. <laughs> um, it's extremely hard to design a new manufacturing system for new technology. Um, I mean, Audi's having major problems manufacturing the e-tron, and they are extremely good at manufacturing. And if they're having problems, what, are, what about others? Um, so, 
the you know, there's, there's on the order of two billion cars and trucks in the world, on the, on the order of about 100 million units per year of production capacity of vehicles, but, but only of the old design. Um, it will take a very long time to convert all of that to uh, full self-driving cars. And they really need to be electric because the cost of operation of a gasoline diesel car is much higher than an electric car. The, so uh, any, 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 any robotax that isn't electric will absolutely not be competitive. Yeah, I would tend to agree with what Elon's saying there. The next uh, clip is a question uh, from the audience, and it's about sensor suites. So let's pick that up and, and listen to that. Maybe over here. Um, just uh, going back to the sensor suite discussion, Elon, the, the um, one area I'd like to just talk about is, is a lack of, of side radars. In, in a situation where you have an intersection with a stop sign where there's maybe a 35, 40 mile per hour cross traffic, um, are you com comfortable with the sensor suite, the side cameras being able to handle that? Just maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, no problem. Um, I mean, essentially, the car is going to do kind of what a human would do. Now you can think of a human as like basically uh, a camera on a slow gimbal. Um, and it's quite remarkable that people are able to drive the car in the way that they are. Because if, if, you, know, you can't look in all directions at once. The car can literally look in all directions at once with multiple cameras. Um, so uh, humans are able to drive just by sort of, sort of looking this way, looking that way. They're obviously stuck in their driver's seat. They can't really get out of the driver's seat. So it's like kind of one camera on a gimbal and is able to drive. A conscientious driver can drive with very high safety. Um, the, the, the cameras in the cars have a better vantage point than, than the person. Um, so they're like up in the, the, up in the B pillar or at, 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 uh, in front of the rear view mirror. Um, they've, got, they've really got a great vantage point. So if, you, if you're turning onto a road that's got a lot of, of high-speed traffic, you can just uh, do what a person does, just like, grab, like turn a little bit, don't go fully into the road, let the camera see what's going on, and if things look good, and then the rear cameras don't show any oncoming traffic, off, off you go. And if it looks sketchy, you can just pull back a little bit, just like a person. If the behavior is like remarkably, it starts to become remarkably lifelike. It's like quite eerie, actually. The car just starts behaving like a person. I would really like to see that. I mean, I, I would really like to take a test drive in one of these cars that's been set up for full self-driving. And once the hardware three or full self-driving chips gets installed everywhere and the software gets updated, I think I'm going to take another uh, test drive w with Tesla to kind of see what that whole thing looks like, you know, leaving from the Tesla store and having the car drive you up the the side streets to the freeway and then back off the freeway and back to the Tesla store. I want to, I want to know what that feels like. So I'm, I'm really excited about this. Also healthy dose, healthy dose of skepticism here. This next question is on safety. <clears throat> Questions on safety. Um, what, what data can you share with us today? Of how safe this technology is, which would obviously be important in a regulatory or insurance discussion. Well, we published the accidents per mile every quarter, um, and what we see right now is that uh, autopilot is about twice as safe as a normal, you know, normal driver on average, and we expect that to increase quite a bit over time. It, it, like I said, in the future, it will be consumers will want to outlaw, I'm not saying they will succeed, nor am I saying I agree with this position, but in the future, consumers will want to outlaw people driving their own cars because it is unsafe. Uh, if you think of like elevators, Elevators used to be operated on a, on a big lever, 
like go up and down the floor, and there was like a big relay, and you had elevator operators, but then periodically they would uh, get tired or drunk or something, and then they'd turn the lever at the wrong time and sever somebody in half. Um, so now you do not have tele- uh, elevator operators, and it would be quite alarming if you went into an elevator that had a big lever that could just move between floors arbitrarily. So there's just buttons. And in the long term, again, not a value judgment. <laughs> I'm not saying I want the world to be this way. I'm saying consumers will most likely demand it that the, the, the people are not allowed to drive cars. Okay, so I'm very happy that we no longer have inebriated or sleepy elevator operators to cleave somebody in half. However, I don't know that consumers are going to demand that we get rid of you know, regular driving cars. I think anybody under the age of 35, that's probably likely. But anybody over the age of 35 starting today is probably going to have to die before that really happens, before consumers are really starting to demand that. Um, regulators might demand it. And that, you know, in that case, you know, what do you got to do? Just a few more questions and then we're done. So let's, let's hear the next one. And Elon, a follow-up. Um, can you share with us how much Tesla is spending on autopilot or autonomous technology by order of magnitude on an annual basis? Thank you. It's basically our entire expense structure. I don't speak finance, but that sounds like a lot. I mean, like a lot of money. The next question is, and I think this is the final question, is about who is responsible if you add your car to the Tesla network and there is an accident. Who's responsible for that? If I uh, add my Tesla to the robotaxi network, who, who is liable for an accident? Is it Tesla or is it me if the vehicle has an accident and harms I mean, it's probably Tesla. It's probably Tesla. If, yeah. I think the, the right thing to do is just make sure there are very, very few accidents. Makes sense. Very, very few accidents. Fingers crossed. All right, everybody, that is the Autonomy Day wrap-up. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Now, I'm going to go get some more water, and I'm going to come back, and we are going to talk about the Tesla earnings call. This section will not be as long as the last section. One second. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Tesla Q1 2019 financial results and Q&A webcast. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Okay, let's do this. To give you an idea what my day's been like, I started this podcast at about 10.30-ish in the morning. It is now, oh man, it's almost 7.30, and I am just now getting to this part. And that doesn't include all of the prep time, all of the listening to these, uh, the autonomy day and the earnings call and all that stuff. My gosh, it's been a huge week for Tesla news. All right. Let's jump right into it, and let's talk about robo-taxis. Uh, all Tesla cars being built today have uh, all the hardware necessary for full self-driving, um, and over-the-air updates will enable uh, our customers to use the Tesla ride-hailing network fleet uh, and generate income, which, um, as we said on Autonomy Day a few days ago, um, we think is somewhere between ten and and $30,000 a year, in some cases perhaps more. We're the only company in the world producing our own vehicles and batteries, as well as our own in-house chip for full self-driving. Uh, we're in a position unlike anyone else in the industry. And in 2020, we expect to have 
a million robo-taxis on the road with the hardware necessary for full self-driving. We believe we'll have the most profitable autonomous taxi on the market. Read into that the only autonomous taxi service on the market. Uh, Google is trying to get that going in the area that I live in. However, they still have drivers in their car, and I don't think they're not going to have drivers in a year. Next up, Elon's going to talk about production delivery problems with the Model 3 and kind of solutions, how they're solving that. Now, this is really important for a lot of folks, especially the folks with the, in U, the UK and other right-hand drive countries, because this is, I think, how Tesla's going to actually get that done. Uh, last quarter, we experienced a massive increase in delivery volume in Europe, similar to what North America experienced last year, um, as well as a massive increase in delivery volume to, to China. As far as challenges go, this was a good one to have because we built vehicles and consumers bought them. But this rapid increase in overseas volume strained our logistics operation and resulted in over half of our global deliveries occurring in the final 10 days of Q1. Uh, this, this was the most uh, difficult logistics problem I've ever seen, and I've seen some, some tough ones. Uh, so I'll say it again, like we literally delivered the half of all vehicles produced, or half all deliveries, occurred in literally the final 10 days of, of Q1. As a result, a, number, a large number of vehicles, vehicle deliveries uh, shifted into Q2, which caused net, a Q1 net income to be negatively uh, impacted, as we simply could not get the vehicles to customers physically in time. In response to this, we are in the process of regionally balancing our vehicle bills throughout the quarter. Uh, this will make the, uh, uh, this will put much less strain on Tesla, result in a much better uh, delivery experience for customers um, and um, have a very positive effect on our working capital uh, in the middle of the quarter. It's kind of hard to get what he's saying on the first listen, but basically they're going to build cars for each region during a specific part of the quarter. And this is how they're going to get the right-hand drive uh, done. So they're going to build cars for North America during this period and then Europe during this period, and then China during this period, and then UK during this period, instead of just building all these cars and kind of trying to get them, you know, delivered wherever it happens to be around the world, it's kind of be more systematic and more organized. So when they're going to Europe, all of the cars are going to get on the boat, they're going to go to Europe, and it's going to be in a more, a more organized fashion than it was last time. Because we, we heard that, you know, there wasn't enough cars in car haulers in China to to deliver all the Model 3s and that kind of thing. It was just kind of overwhelming the system. And they're hoping that what they're doing now will help alleviate that and, you know, ultimately be more profitable for them. Next, they're going to talk about Model 3 successes. Uh, in Q1, Model 3 was yet again the best-selling premium car in the U.S., outselling the runner-up by almost 60%. Yes, it's worth just dwelling on that for a moment, just how uh, absurd this is compared to predictions that were made several years ago. Uh, uh, there, there were literally, to the best of my knowledge, zero predictions that, that this, this would happen if you go back just even five, five or six years ago. Um, then, then an electric car would be the best-selling um, premium car in the U.S., um, and, and we believe over time it will be the best-selling premium car throughout the world. Uh, and in fact, in 
in Norway in March, um, uh, we, uh, we we set a record for the highest sales of any car period ever, um, and that'd be something similar in, in Switzerland as well. So um, these are really I think, incredible achievements by the Tesla team. I think that's great, and really, there's nothing more to say on that. Next, uh, they're going to talk about Model 3 global expansion and updates. So and keep in mind, global expansion for the Model 3 has just begun, and this segment is uh, vastly larger, larger uh, internationally than it is in the U.S. We're continuing to make significant improvements to our vehicle lineup, including updating the Model S and X production line to accommodate the next generation of powertrains. So the, we announced this uh, yesterday, and we're now in production with uh, the um, significantly more advanced powertrain for the Model S and X, as well as an upgrade to the suspension system to have uh, uh, active adaptive uh, damping in the suspension system uh, and to enable charging at 200 kilowatts, uh, which is, um, and, and there are a number of other small, small changes. Uh, if anyone um, is thinking about upgrading their Model S or X, this is a, a great time to do it. Um, and uh, we also introduced a loyalty program where uh, if, if somebody has, is an existing Tesla owner and they buy a performance Model S or X, they get the ludicrous upgrade for free. So this, uh, um, yeah, you know, as a, as a thank and appreciation to uh, existing Tesla customers. I did not know about the ludicrous mode thing. That is uh, excellent. This kind of goes back to the news part of the show, which was oh so many hours ago. Um, is is Tesla, you know, are they sweetening the pot? while they're getting this major upgrade ready. And I would say, yes, they're sweetening the pot. So they get this because they don't want to, they don't want model S and model X sales to fall. So they're, they're giving you a little bit more and making it a little tasty. And then boom, there's going to be a new model S and model X probably at, let's say at the pickup event, who knows that's, I'm just guessing, pulling it out of the air. Next, he's going to talk about the model S and X achievements. So they have a long, longer range. The, the, the Model S now uh, has a range of 370 miles. This is an actual EPA range of 370 miles. And Motor Trend uh, test drove the car uh, a few days ago and drove nonstop all the way from San Francisco to Los Angeles at normal highway speeds. Um, and they, they said they could have even gone faster. And they were, they were in a headwind as well. So this is uh, pretty remarkable that an electric car can go nonstop between uh, the, the, the two biggest cities in California. Um, I, I mean, I remember back when I was driving gasoline cars, I always had to stop at the gas station. <laughs> this is literally better than a gasoline car, with, with rare exception. Um, and it, it, there's also an increase in uh, power, um, so it accelerates faster, just better, better in every way. Um, and we we're able to do this without increasing the size of the battery pack, which is uh, a testament to, to the powertrain team and uh, you know, for, for being able to uh, improve the efficiency of the powertrain by, by such a significant margin. Yeah, we already talked about this in the news section. And the reason why I put it in the news section and in this section, just in case people don't listen to both, which is, you know, a real possibility. All right. The final in this section, we have three sections that we're going through. The final 
clip in this section in the intro section is they're going to give us a financial update on Tesla. So there's two key themes that I'd like to discuss uh, uh, briefly, and then we'll open it up to Q&A around cash and profitability for the quarter. First, on the cash front, uh, we exited Q1 with $2.2 billion in cash and cash equivalents on hand. This was a $1.5 billion reduction from our 2018 ending cash balance. Uh, This reduction is attributed to two factors. The first is that we paid off $920 million convertible note on March 1st. Uh, Note for those of you looking to the cash flow statement, um, $188 million of this is flowing through our operating cash flows. Uh, The balance uh, to the $1.5 billion reduction is more than explained by the working capital impact of expanding Model 3 operations overseas. And the two components to this, which we've discussed, is that an international operation uh, naturally commands additional working capital because of transit times, but then also the stress on our delivery operations meant that not all of our cars were delivered. Both of these factors, which occurred in Q1, we do not expect to repeat in Q2. Uh, and we expect our quarter-ending cash balance to continue to increase going forward. I'll also note that we're tracking in April to the largest a month of deliveries for month one in the history of the company. Yeah, I don't really have much to say on the financial part of that. That's not the really the part that interests me other than I want Tesla to stay a company that's, you know, in business. The second section is the retail investor questions. And actually, I was quite impressed at how good the retail investor questions were. They were really informative. Uh, The answers were anyway. And the first one that they're going to talk about Maxwell Technologies, specifically, you know, when that deal is going to be finished. Will Tesla be able to complete their purchase of Maxwell Technologies? What is holding that back? Jonathan, do you want to? Yeah, hi, it's Jonathan Chang, the general counsel here. Right now, we're just going through approvals with the SEC. Um, there's not um, a whole lot of things holding it back. We're on schedule. We're on track. Um, right now, we're looking to close in mid-May. There you go. Mid-May. That's great news. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this next section. It's talking about uh, the possibility of Tesla car insurance. And I have more to say after this clip. Is Tesla considering creating an insurance program in order to further simplify the ownership experience and to more accurately take into account safety of driving an autopilot. The insurance market is very unreliable for Tesla owners right now. Uh, the answer is uh, yes, we are creating a Tesla insurance product, um, and we hope to launch that uh, in, in about a month. Okay. It will be much more compelling than anything else out there. We talked about this a bit uh, a couple of years ago, and real long-time listeners like James or Mark or Dale, they might actually remember... Um, Australia had a pilot or Tesla had a pilot program for an insurance product in Australia. And then we just kind of never really heard anything about it after that. This makes a lot of sense. Tesla has a ton of information about you already. They already know if you're a good driver or a bad driver. So setting insurance rates is really easy for them. Now, I wonder who they're using for their underwriter because I highly doubt that Tesla is taking all of this obligation on themselves. Now, there's a company that I have my insurance through and it's called Root. Very early on in Root's like, you know, startup phase, they said that they would insure Tesla vehicles at a lower rate because Tesla vehicles were safer. Now, I wonder if Tesla made some sort of deal with Root. If it's not Root, it would be interesting to see who exactly they're partnering with. Um, our next clip is kind of long, but it's on Tesla Energy. 
I really like talking about renewable energy and I really get to do it because there's so many other news stories and it kind of always falls by the wayside. So I left this clip in here. I think it's really interesting and I hope you do too. Uh, great. Thank you very much. Uh, the next question is, um, Elon, most people, uh, when they think of Tesla, only see it as an automotive company. Can you speak to the energy side of the company, specifically the roadmap for when you see the energy side of things really taking off and generating major revenue for the company? Sure. The, the, the challenge really is um, battery cell scarcity. As far as the stationary storage is concerned, we... Um, uh, we, we, need, we basically need, need enough cells to support the vehicle production um, as well as to, to full power well and power pack. Uh, last year, in order to um, have enough cells for Model uh, 3, we actually had to convert um, all of the lines at the Gigafactory to uh, produce cells just for the Model 3 uh, as opposed to power well and power pack. And so we're essentially scrounging cells from all around the world to um, at least continue some level of production on the uh, power and power pack. Um, uh, this year, we we, we think uh, we'll be able to allocate um, at, at least um, maybe uh, five to ten percent of cell output on um, crew and JV. Like, what do you guys think? Uh, yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, Between five and ten percent, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, so. Um, now there are far fewer cells in a power wall than 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 a car, so that that translates to you know it's look you know, quite a decent number of of, of power walls, um, and then we uh, will continue to use um, cells from a variety of suppliers around the world. The power wall and power pack, um, because they don't have to go through vehicle homologation, um, are uh, much more adaptable to using a variety of cells from other cell providers. Uh, so I, I would expect that Powerwall and PowerPack to see a very significant percentage growth this year, you know, maybe on the order of 300% or some very, some quite high number. Sorry? Sorry? Yeah, 300. I just, the team was just confirming, yes, 300%. Um, so this is a very big percentage growth rate. Um, it's, it's much faster than, than automotive, so over time we would expect that to uh, that sort of growth rate would ho hopefully be able to continue, and, and then uh, battery storage will become um, a, a bigger and bigger percentage of, of Tesla's business over time. Um, we also have we're also planning a significant increase in retrofit solar this year because uh, we believe we've, we've finally refined the product offering to be something that's extremely compelling and much more cost efficient to uh, deliver and install. Um, radically streamlined process from what which, which was being done before. Um, and we'll have more to say on that possibly next week. Um, and then the solar roof tile, uh, we're on version three of the design. Um, that necessarily takes a while to scale up because we have to be confident that the solar roof is going to last for on the order of 30 years. Um, and uh, because of the warranties of 20, 25 years, um, and, and you know, so the, the the rate at which you can iterate on solar roof is is necessarily slowed down by the according to the rate at which you can um, do accelerated aging on the roof. Um, and we want the uh, installation process to be uh, simple and easy. Um, so I was just actually the, the Buffalo uh, Tesla, Tesla Buffalo factory um, a few weeks ago, and um, I was pretty impressed with the team. 
uh, and uh, we're looking forward to, to scaling that up uh, significantly uh, through the balance of this year and next. I hope the energy side of the company does really well this year because I want to I want them to prioritize like power walls and I want them to bring that cost down so that you know more people can buy them. $7500 for a power wall isn't outrageous, but on the other side it would be a lot easier to sell to my wife. It was it was $3500 or whatever. I I want them to build enough to where it makes sense they can build them at scale and they can bring the cost down so that everybody can afford them, including myself. All right, uh, there's a real quick clip about the Tesla Semi here. Uh, the next question comes from Jeffrey. When and where will the Tesla Semi production begin? Uh, this, this is Jerome. Next year, we'll start production. We're very happy. We're driving the trucks extensively uh, with, um, I think, so far, yeah, quite the, amazing success. Yeah, the, the prototypes are working amazingly well. Yeah, very well. We just use them all the time. We load them to maximum weight and um, continue to make improvements. Um, so we, we even use them to deliver some uh, Model Threes. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, the um, uh, so yeah, we'll start production next year. Uh, the location is not yet uh, set, but it's pretty clear that we make all the batteries and drive units in Reno. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, it was Sparks, technically. Yeah, it's Sparks, yeah. Northern Nevada. Yeah, Northern Nevada. I think there he, he had a little slip of the tongue there. Now, I used to live in Reno, and it's very common for people to say Reno when they really mean Sparks. It's uncommon if you don't live in Reno to say uh, Sparks but really mean Reno. It, it, that's very uncommon. Most people have never heard of Sparks other than, you know, people on this show because of the Gigafactory. And I've lived in both places. They're awesome. They're amazing places to live. Um, so yeah, I think this is going to end up being in in Reno. I think that we got a little we got a little tip of the hat. It's going to be in Reno. The next question is: When are current customers going to get that full self driving hardware? Um, and perhaps the last question from retail: How how soon should current owners that purchase FSD get the new FSD computer? Um, I, I think the, um, the, the um, for, from a features and functionality standpoint, I think there's there's no point getting the, um, the FSD upgrade if you don't already have it in the car uh, for probably about two or three months. That's when um, we'll start releasing features that are um, materially different from the feature set available on the version two uh, hardware. So just no, no need to rush to the get your computer replaced. It's like two, two to three months before it becomes relevant. Um, and then it will increase rapidly from then. Seems like you'd want to get those rangers out there and start replacing hardware as soon as you had it available to just kind of make it easier so it's not all being replaced at one time. But I'm sure Tesla has a plan. Next up, Elon, nobody really asked this question, but Elon gives a Model Y update, which... I think uh, everybody appreciates. One other comment I'll make, uh, I'll make in case, since nobody asked this explicitly, uh, for Model Y production, um, we are uh, right now um, trying to decide whether Model Y vehicle production uh, should be in California or Nevada. Um, and uh, we, we expect to make a final decision on that uh, very soon. Um, but in the meantime, we've ordered all of the tooling um, and equipment required for Model Y. So uh, we do not expect this to in any way delay uh, production of Model Y. Um, 
but um, it, it's currently uh, a, a very close call between Nevada and California as to whether we do the Model Y um, at Giga or at Fremont. But those are, those are the, the two options, and, and we'll hopefully be able to make a decision in the next uh, next few weeks. Okay, early on we'd been hearing it's going to be built at Giga, 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 Giga. Fremont is bursting at the seams. This next question uh, kind of addresses that, so let's listen. I was just going to say, on a previous call, uh, you indicated that the Y would not be built in Fremont because it was, I think you said, packed to the gills. I heard today that it is now a, a close call between California and uh, Nevada. Is anticipated demand for Fremont-built uh, vehicles uh, less than was previously thought, or have you managed to maybe find more capacity in Fremont, for example, with the tent or some other production method? Correct. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, first of all, I obviously I'm a fan of, of tents. Like, like I mean, I'm real, real like hardcore tents, not not like you know Cub, Cub Scout tents, um, which are fine. <laughs> but um, the, the the this is actually credit goes to uh, a number of people in the Tesla team because they they actually looked at how could we do this in Fremont if if we had to, um, and we feel that we can actually append building space. Um, uh, to the uh, uh, basically to the west side of the building, um, and use a lot of internal space that is currently used for warehousing in um, in, in our Fremont factory, and so we believe it actually uh, can be done with minimal disruption uh, to add Model Y to to Fremont. But does it make sense to add Model Y to Fremont? That, that's the question. If your goal is to have one giant factory where raw materials come in one side and a car pops out the other side. That doesn't really make sense to build it in Fremont, but there are other things that we don't see, of course. The next analyst question, it's a real short one, uh, and it talks about the Model S and X slowdown that we talked about earlier this year where they got rid of the third shift and everybody was saying, well, the Model S and Model X, they're, nobody's buying them anymore and, and you know they're going away and all the the, the panic that happens. But I think they have a very nice explanation on this. Yeah, but just one thing I wanted to add to that, just on the production side of SNX. Um, we did reduce production in Q1, as was noted. Uh, that was part of the retooling that we put in place uh, to get the longer range uh, vehicle out with the in improved suspension. And we're in the process of increasing production back up over the course of Q2. So um, just for the purpose of expectations, I mean, we will exit... Uh, Q2 at a higher production rate than we did in Q1 on SNX, and then return back to a more normal volume in Q3. It's already uh, higher. Yeah. I mean, it's already increasing. Yeah, it's, yeah. That makes sense. And they're on a, an earnings call, so I don't think they could say anything that wasn't true. So otherwise, I would land them in some hot water. Uh, the next up is we talked about the Fiat Chrysler uh, carbon credits in Elon kind of addresses it, but he doesn't really address it. Um, yes, thank you for taking the question. Um, I was just wondering if you can comment on the agreement you seem to have reached with FCA on the possibility of selling your uh, CO2 credits to them in Europe and, um, and what that means to your potential um, cash inflow, when that might start occurring, and if there is by any chance any of those payments already in the Q1 cash position. Um, it's a confidential deal with FCA, so we, and we agreed with FCA not to comment on it publicly, so we, we must abide by that. 
Our next clip is all about reporting delivery and production numbers month to month rather than quarterly. Let's take a listen as to what Elon thinks on this. And can I ask you a question of going back to what Adam was saying about the drama that surrounds your stock, unfortunately? Um, why don't you reduce some of it by disclosing maybe on a, on a monthly basis your deliveries and also maybe you know, disclosing early your greenhouse revenue instead of just the ZEV um, so we get right away a better view on, on some of these um, you know, details that um, kind of move the stock? Um, I, I think that would actually be counterproductive uh, because people read too much into what occurred in a month. I mean, e even at a quarterly basis, things can be lumpy. Um, and so the the more granularity uh, that's provided, uh, let's say at a monthly level, the, the, the people would reach all sorts of conclusions that don't make sense. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's like literally like sales to, to a particular country, say overseas, are, are, are affected by when the ship arrives. Um, and and so if a ship arrives, you know, on the, the 31st of the month or the 1st of the next month, this will make it look like something dramatic has happened, but actually the ship was just a, jet, a day late. So people mm -hmm. read, th that would increase the drama, not decrease it. Yeah. And we're feeling the ship's 100% uh, now, yeah. too. Oh, great. Yeah. All right, we're also Thank you. Yeah, feeling the ship's 100%, so it's like, it, it just ends up being lumpy. I like that term, lumpy. Our next clip is all about the Model 3 price cuts. So let's listen in on that. Oh, great. Thanks for taking my question. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. Anytime. Um, it, I mean, it sounds like from the, the tone of the call that you don't see that there's a demand issue for some of the products, but um, margins seem to be under pressure, and typically automakers cut pricing when there is a demand issue. So what, what is the logic of the price cuts during the quarter? Uh, I mean, our, our goal, as we've been very clear about from the beginning of the company, is to um, make our cars as affordable as possible. Um, and uh, we felt, felt it was important to offer the $35,000 Model 3 um, and then to create a, a sort of a bundled package for the uh, Model 3 with the increased range. Because uh, we think actually that difference between 220 and 240 is, is quite important and more important than people realize uh, in range. Um, and you know, having a partial premium interior and then bundling autopilot. Uh, so we, we thought those, like, we weren't created like a product that's really just nails the sweet spot, which I think the $39,500 um, Model 3 is just really nailed the sweet spot, and we're seeing consumer response accordingly. Um, and if people can still buy the $35,000 version of the, of the Model Model 3 that obviously doesn't have autopilot and, um, and, and has a software range restriction and that kind of thing, um, it's, it's like slightly more inconvenient to, to, to buy. You just have to make a phone call uh, or visit a store. So it's, it's not like, you know, you have to complete the, you know, the, some, you know, optical course or something. Um, but uh, but we see very few people actually take taking us up on that thirty-five thousand dollar offer. But it is it is there and will remain there. I'm glad to hear that it's going to remain there. That's that's actually very important uh, to me, and I know it's important to a lot of other people. And finally, we're going to talk about Shanghai Gigafactory and the cell suppliers for Shanghai. And as a follow-up, um, you're still targeting the China facility ramp by the end of the year. Uh, are you still confident in the 3000 per week? And, and do you have a battery supplier yet? Because it's getting pretty close to the point. Uh, yeah, the, the, the Shanghai Gigafactory progress is going incredibly well. 
uh, testament to the outstanding execution of our team on the ground there. Um, I, I get daily uh, emails with Delta pictures from one day to the next um, from, from Tom Zhu, who, who leads uh, the, the Gig Factory program. Um, and, you know, so we're I'm literally discussing it. Uh, we're getting updates so seven days a week. Um, so the, the uh, midnight Gigafactory email. Um, but so uh, in terms of execution, it's outstanding. But of course, uh, the pr production goes as fast as the slowest item. It's always very important to, to bear in mind. So we have 99% of things in good shape, but 1% is missing. You still can't make a car. So um, with, with respect to but that said, it, it, it looks like we'll reach volume production at the end of this year with, with uh, you know, let's say more, more than 1,000 cars a week, uh, maybe 2,000 uh, from Shanghai Giga at the end of this year. That, that's what it looks like to be the case right now. If it's not, if it's not then, it'll be shortly thereafter. Um, and then uh, we, we expect to have um, multiple sales flyers for Shanghai Giga. Okay, that's it. That's the whole show. Wow, I hope you liked it because this was a, a passion project over the week. It literally took me huge spans of time. I took an entire week off, not for this, but I just took a week off from work in general. And I spent all of my time on this, all of my free time that wasn't you know spent doing homework with kids or making dinner and that kind of stuff. The rest of the time was spent actually prepping for this show. So I hope you like it. It means a lot. And as a reminder, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at 918digital. If for some reason uh, you want to email me, it's Bodhi at 918digital.com. And I hope you all have a great week. I'm going to go edit this now because the show is not done for me. I'm going to go edit this down. And hopefully it's not going to be my best editing job because this thing is large and unwieldy at an hour and 47 minutes in. Um, anyway, have a great week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And I will talk to you next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.